May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My guess is that you have heard some stewardship sermons on this text, but probably not a lot of Ash Wednesday sermons on this text. Stewardship sermons go like this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth. Give it to the church, right? That's, that's how those go. But an Ash Wednesday sermon goes like this. What do you treasure? What does your heart love? What can you not live without? We're moving into Lent. We're preparing for Good Friday and Easter. These are important questions to ask as we move into this season because the answers to questions like what does our heart love, the answers begin to identify things which are not divine but have quietly been holding a status of divinity in our hearts. I wonder if you remember a commercial from a few years ago for Captain Morgan Rum. The dashing, daring pirate captain breaks a man out of jail and the two race through the cobblestone streets uh, of the town on horseback. They're escaping the musket fire of the commandant's men. And as the pirate ship is sailing away from the harbor, the criminal begins to celebrate his new freedom. But the crew grabs him and throws him against uh, the railing of the ship and rips the shirt off his body, and there, tattooed on his back, is a treasure map. And the X that marks the spot where the treasure is is right over his heart. Now, I don't know if the commercial producer intended that, but that's where the X is. The heart is where the treasure is. In spiritual terms, it is our heart. And what I mean by that, of course, is our emotional core. It's it's that place in us that treasures people and things. It's our heart uh, that, in a sense, determines the level of value that we give to those things. We like this person, but we love this person. That person over there... We don't really care for them so much. We might like the gift of diamonds, but we really actually prefer the gift of time or attention. We might not care for someone being late, but we really hate being ignored. It's just whatever makes you, you. This is your heart. I mean, these things vary widely from person to person, of course, but what is universal is that our heart is our treasure map. Our heart tells us where our treasure is. 
Now, the Bible tells us lots of things about the human heart, that core that God has put in us to tie us together spiritually and emotionally and physically. It's the thing that feels and more specifically the thing that loves. The Bible has named several things uh, that our hearts ought to do. Love the Lord our God. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says that the heart is the place from which we are to forgive others. And the place from which we are to obey the Lord. But there are over 700 times throughout the Bible that the word heart uh, is mentioned. And even a quick survey will tell you that the Bible is not impressed with or optimistic about the fidelity of the fallen human heart. The heart wanders. Psalm 95.10 The heart is hardened. Exodus 7.14 The heart is stubborn and rebellious. Jeremiah 5.23 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart produces evil, anger, sexual immorality, murder, and slander. Matthew 15, 19, and we could go on and on. And of course, this is not to say that we are devoid of things like kindness or creativity or beauty or even of morality. That would be a ridiculous statement. But it is to say, however, that our hearts, which were made to love God and made to be loved by God, that now in their fallen state, Fill that need to love and be loved by making good things into little surrogate gods. We take good things and we make them into God things. Ultimate things. Things that we treasure. And the Bible word for that is idolatry. The author and preacher Tim Keller says that an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I will feel like my life has meaning. Then I will know that I have value. Then I will feel significant and secure. Or St. Augustine once said that idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used and using anything that ought to be worshipped. Say that again. Worshiping anything that ought to be used and using anything that ought to be worshipped. So if you want to find out what those idols are in your life, and Lent is a very good time to do that, look at the treasure map of your heart. What do you have to have in, uh, other than Jesus Christ in order to be happy? Besides God, what must be present in your life in order for you to have peace or a sense of security or a feeling of value? Let me just give you a few examples. Pardon me if I move from preaching to meddling. We are absolutely supposed to love our children 
and work to give them what they need in order to be faithful Christians and productive members of society. But what happens to us when our child fails? When our daughter turns up pregnant or our son gets put in jail? Or when they declare that they don't care about God? You can think about, you can think of countless scenarios, but if a healthy sadness moves over into existential despair, if our life feels like it is over, if we are broken by anxiety, if our great worry actually is what others are going to think of us given this situation, we've probably got an idol on our hands. It might be our child or our child's success or our success as a parent. What about wealth? Wealth is good. It is good to save. It's good to have nice things. It's good to use our nice things to bless other people. But it is very easy to let our worldly treasure become our spiritual treasure. To have to have nice things. To have to have a certain amount. And there are just all kinds of layers to the idolatry of wealth, where our sense of security comes from, uh, how we want others to view us, what we think we deserve, and on and on. If we cannot live at peace without lots of money or without other people believing that we have lots of money, then we have found another idol. Or let's take a look at the idol that Jesus exposes in our gospel passage. It is good to pray. It is good to give generously. It is good to fast. And we can add to that list, it is good to have Lenten disciplines. To give up sweets or Facebook. Things like that. But Jesus shows how these things can expose the idol of other people's opinions of us. And particularly, others' opinions about our piety. If we're looking around at others rather than up to God, when we're seeking affirmation about our spiritual lives, then we're dealing with an idol. And I can tell you that if you find that idol, you are in good company. Maybe not so good company, but... Now, let's hasten to say that the possibility of having an idol should not prevent us from praying or fasting or giving... But it is important to honestly assess who we're praying to or who we're giving for and why we're fasting. We can make idols out of anything, which is why the great reformer John Calvin famously said that our hearts are idol factories. And in fact, if the Bible is right about its diagnosis of the human heart, then I'm sure that we can even make an idol out of not having idols. And so what are we to do? I want to tell you to survey the treasure map as you move through Lent. To peer honestly into your heart. To rend your heart, as Joel uh, says. And take note of those things that you treasure over God. 
There's things that you love more than God. There's things that you have to have more than you have to have God. And offer those things back to Him. That's what I hope that you will do. And you should. But if we start there, if we start Lent with our own action, or even with the confidence that we will rightly discern our own hearts, then we are sure to create more idols around our own religious discipline. So instead, we start Lent knowing that we are not the only one who put the love of something or someone above the love of God. We start Lent with the knowledge that God also put something before God. We start knowing that God also loved something more than He loved Himself and that there was something God also had to have that He literally couldn't live without. And that something was you. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation or the free offering for our sins. See, God loved you so much that He gave His Son, Jesus, to be the sacrificial offering for your sins. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And you may have heard me say before, He is so for us that He is even against His own judgment. And that's where we start Lent. Not with our action, but with His. Not with our love, but with His. Not with our cleansing of our hearts, but with His cleansing of our hearts. And so do examine the treasure map and offer to Him your treasures. Take on disciplines that will point those things out to you so that you may offer them back to Him. Giving up chocolate is not a test of your will, and if it becomes a test of your will, eat chocolate. (laughs) Take on things that will help you to give those treasures back to Him. But do so in the confident knowledge that He has already paid the price of infinitely greater cost. And so with that, let us pray. Father, each of us comes with our own complex net of idols in our hearts. Thank you that what you require of us is not that we first will root those things out of our hearts so that you will love us, but that you loved us as the means by which we will root those things out of our heart. Whether we're giving up alcohol or Facebook or gossip or whether we're taking on prayer and Bible study, whatever it is, Lord, that we are offering to you, may we do so in the full, ready knowledge that you have offered yourself to us. And may we find you in that place.
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.